Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad. This is an excerpt from our Monday post box that goes out on our Patreon feed. In it, we're going to discuss all the action from the Carabao Cup, led by the questions from our brilliant patrons. We thought we'd put it out here and see, give people a little bit of a taster of what we do over there on Monday. So without further ado, let's get stuck into the Carabao Cup final. Let's go to Eric Wallen, who says, Up the f***ing red, men. I mentioned in Discord after DJ's ranking on the main pod that it was basically criminal that Endo wasn't deemed the number one value transfer of the summer. And today he proved it once again. 120 minutes, didn't put a foot wrong, apart from a brutal offside foul going against him. In a world where DMs are big money signings, $100 million plus in some instances, Endo has argued been Liverpool's signing of the season. And Fiat Chris said something very similar. He said, huge props to Endo yet again. The lad is just different class and fair play to whoever identified him as a signing. His attitude is top class. He works hard every single minute. He's aggressive in the tackle and has that willingness to go forward. People really underestimate the importance of just passing and moving forward. And that's coming from a man who absolutely adores Henderson, Milner and Vinaldum. I'm so happy that this guy was given the opportunity to play for a bigger club in inverted commas. No disrespect to Stuttgart. It was incredible from Endo. And if there wasn't so many monstrous performances on the pitch, you would have had him as a a man of the match contender. But he was everywhere. And in a moment where Liverpool were obviously light, even more so after Gravenberg went off, his ability to just do the hard yards over and over and over again, Dean, is pretty stunning, to be honest. 
Yeah, but look, thank goodness they signed him. Like he saved them in that in that cup final, really, from uh, a really deep hole. And it's obviously a deep one already, but he could it could keep them going. Um, yeah, it was an oversight. You're probably right. Um, when I was putting that ranking together, and if we were doing that ranking this week, I'd obviously be reflecting on it differently. And that sixteen million pounds certainly seems good when you compare him to the guy they were going to sign, Moises Caicedo, who he came up against in this game, and again just fails to show that he is worth what Chelsea paid for him. Um, so, yeah, take your point, Eric. Um, and I think that, yeah, Liverpool will be looking back today on a win that, while it's remembered for Klopp's kids, and that's the narrative that everybody's on right now, um, I don't really think that that is the narrative of this game. I mean, Jackson says, hope Van Dyke gets his flowers here after some pretty harsh criticism recently. I don't, I don't remember us criticizing Virgil Van Dyke, but maybe I did. I think we um, just, there was, was a section where it was like, he wasn't last season at the level that he had been before. And we were wondering whether there was, you know, a mistake that we've seen recently creeping into his game, but this was a dominant performance of the highest order. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Maybe, I, maybe I've just questioned whether he was quite, um, as pivotal was in the past and at one point in the season, I'd, I'd still argue he probably wasn't. But here's the thing, right? Um, On when the you big cons- stage. <laughs> well, look, when you consider um, this specific fixture, what was going to um, come between these two teams to decide this cup final? Chelsea went and spent, you know, as with Gary Neville's made abundantly clear, a billion pounds on transfers and a very specific profile of player. And they wanted to get the very best. And they spent hundreds of millions on players in specific positions. And what was the thing that I banged on and on about at the time? They haven't got anyone in here with seniority or experience for big games and bringing this group together. What is astoundingly clear as we're getting deep into this cup final, especially into extra time, is they ain't got any leaders. That actually, the average age of Chelsea's squad, as Chelsea's team on the pitch at the full-time whistle, was actually lower than the average age of the Liverpool team. Chelsea's team was 22.6 at the full-time whistle. Liverpool's was 24.1. But that's because Liverpool had two players in their 30s. They've got Van Dijk, who's 32, and they've got Endo, who's 31. Chelsea did not have, in extra time, as the closing whistle came, a player even close to being 30. Who decides this game? Endo and Van Dijk. Van Dijk literally showing that he's a wise old head as he nods in the winner for the second time in this match. Um, And I, I think that that's kind of got lost so far. I think it will come back around. But because there's so much attention on the fact that Liverpool did have three kids in on the pitch in the sense that they had three teenagers playing, which is obviously unbelievable, especially when they're three teenagers that I'd say 90% of the football watching audience have never heard of. Like yeah. that, that is astounding. But I think what is most impressive about Liverpool signing Endo is that they've made sure that after losing Henderson, Milner, Wijnaldum, that they're not relying on an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old, whatever it is, in a cup final if they completely collapse. And they've had that to fall back on. So look, maybe if Chelsea had had Thiago Silva, maybe if he passed his fitness test and he could have got through this game, 
maybe that would have been the thing. But still, I mean, a 39-year-old's probably pushing it when the rest of the squad's 22 years old. So just something I, I thought I would touch on. Sam says Chelsea brought on £200 million worth of subs and Liverpool put in a bunch of 19-year-olds. And it was Liverpool who completely controlled uh, the extra time. I think that's possible due to the hard work of a lot of people at the club. But most of all, I think it's due to the culture that Klopp has cultivated over yeah. the last eight years. He fit perfectly with the ethos of this club from the get-go. And I'm going to miss him. Yeah, I'm, I wanted to touch on this. And, and there's something here from Jake, who said, let the Prince of Narratives wax lyrical for a bit. That's what we all need. And actually, I think that the word narrative here, often I throw it around as something that you know we can get behind and it's fun. But actually, I think it's a really crucial word in what we're looking at here because what Liverpool do have and you know you can call it a culture you can call it a narrative but everyone's built in right everyone's bought in and so when you look at what this team does and they throw you know a, a bunch of 19 year olds I mean look Jaden Dans is playing his second game for Liverpool ever the first one was midweek against Luton where he came off the bench his second game is a cup final at Wembley, there were, what, three players here who've made less than 10 starts or less than 10 appearances for Liverpool. You know, Bobby Clark coming on, um, McConnell coming on and Dan's coming on. Then you put on Gerald Kwanzaa, who at 21 and having played a few games this season, felt like a veteran. Connor Bradley played it right back. Keevan Kelleher, OK, a little bit more time within this setup. But when you're putting all of those things together, the... Obvious thing you can look at is go, okay, how many of these players have spent significant time in this first team? Not many. And yet they came in and they were able to buy into something. And look, the fans are put into this as well. And I think that Ale 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 that echoed around Wembley at the start of extra time, it's easy to forget that Chelsea were completely dominant in the last 10 minutes of normal time, right? And in the face of that dominance, Klopp turned to this bunch of teenagers or young young men on his bench to try and turn things around and they did that because the culture and the narrative is something that everybody is bought into at Liverpool there is no narrative at Chelsea there is no concept there is no system it is a group of people who have been brought together by Todd Burley when he spent a lot of money there is no sense of culture or continuity that they can jump into. In there. And that's why Chelsea are such a weird team. Because there are moments here, especially in normal time, I think, where you're watching this Chelsea team and going, okay, the talent's clearly there. Because we're looking at a lot of, of players who are very, very good footballers. And they have these spells for 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time where they're the better team and that talent starts to show through. And you're going, okay, fine, I can see what Chelsea are trying to do here. The problem is that there's no sort of continuity with that. And there's no sort of sense that at any point it couldn't come crashing down. You know, the walls of Jericho here as it gets to extra time, because from being completely dominant in those last 15 minutes, Chelsea suddenly just completely collapsed in on themselves. And I think that's to do with the fact that there is no narrative, there is no culture at the club. And it means that as soon as any sort of tide momentum or shift in the way that the game is playing happens, they don't know what to do. It goes back to your leader's point, right? But also I think it's about the fact that if Liverpool had played a bunch of kids and the whole team had been there, and yes, I think Endo and Van Dijk's experience in this is huge in terms of the way that the game plays out. But I wouldn't back against Liverpool having that concept of going, okay, we're going to do this because we feel like we belong. We feel like we're part of something. And it's something that you can't buy immediately. You can buy it and build it because 
the narrative that these are all academy graduates in inverted commas from Liverpool is incorrect because how many of these players actually came in at 16, 15, 18, you know, that picture where it said homegrown. And I know that homegrown is a funny term in football because as long as you're at a club for a certain number of years, you count as homegrown, et cetera, et cetera. But these players coming in from, from different places, Harvey Elliott from Fulham, Ben Doak from Celtic, you know, we saw Bajetic come in from Celta Vigo. This isn't like suddenly all these players have grown up in Liverpool. A couple of them have, and they deserve immense credit for that, but not all of them. And so when you kind of look at how things are, these players don't even have had to been there all that long in order to feel like they're part of something very, very special. And that is a culture and a narrative that Jurgen Klopp has developed over his entire time at Liverpool and ultimately, as far as I'm concerned, that's the difference between these two teams in the cup final. Yeah, I think that there's also one other element here, and that is the mindset of both managers in extra time. Mauricio Pochettino had everything to lose, and Klopp had nothing to lose. You could look at that smirk that appears in Klopp's face, right? Every time a decision or an injury went against him in that match. And you look at Pochettino's face as he gets towards extra time, and he's now admitted that they were playing for penalties. That's because Pochettino had this fear in him and he knew that if they could get to penalties, they had at least a 50-50 chance of winning this match. Not with Kevin Keller in goal, they didn't. True. He felt that there was an element of trust missing, I think, in his team. And that's because his team haven't given him that trust across the course of this season. Jurgen Klopp thinks, do you know what? I'm going to go for it. And he, he throws on three kids And he's got a bit of a smile on his face. And he knows that he can come out after that game and say, I had nothing else to do. We had no other choice. Two more injuries go against us. You can look on my bench and see what was dealt there. I had a VAR decision go against me. You could have argued whatever about Caicedo's challenge on Gravenberg. He could have loaded all this up and said, and everyone would have had sympathy for him. Pochettino, nobody's got sympathy with him for not winning this trophy. And that's why I think he was bottled it in terms of going for the kill in extra time and just wanted the penalties. Yeah, it is, but I find that absolutely bizarre. And look, we'll come on to Pochettino because Darius has some things to say about him. And I, I kind of want to give that its full space, but not going for it in extra time is one of the wildest decisions I've seen in a long time. So I want to finish with a couple more questions on Liverpool before we flip it over to Chelsea. Shane Brown said, I'm in total awe of Connor Bradley right now. I loved how he played, so fearless. And the scrap between him and Chilwell made me a fan for life. And look, you talk about leaders, right? And I think that this was interesting. I think it was from Neil Atkinson on the Anfield Rap tweeted this. And you're talking about leadership. And it's about some of these players standing up and being like, I'm a leader. And I think Chilwell lost his head which is a really strange thing considering he was the man wearing the armband for Chelsea in this game. He was the man who would have gone and lifted the trophy if they had come out victorious. And in this game, he gets substituted sort of late on in the normal time, which is a weird decision because it means a right back has to come over to left back, a centre back pushes out to right back. It's all a bit bizarre. But I think that taking him off might have been the right decision because for the entire game, all he seemed to do was want to fight people. And that's a very strange place to be if you're being considered a leader of this club. I just think it's a lack of trust and, and, a, and a lack of um, belief in what they're truly capable of. 
um, because they haven't had it for such a long time now. Six cup final defeats in a row is going to hurt. And I think, you know, it goes all the way back to when Chelsea won the Champions League final a few years back. Decision to explode that team and, and get rid of the lot. You're just ridiculous, you know? Like, there you go. I mean, I haven't got the, that lineup in front of me right now, but if you'd have, that team still today would have beaten Liverpool yesterday. Yeah, of course they would have. So, what was the point of the last three years? Hmm. There ain't any point to it because the team are no better off in any sense whatsoever, except they're a billion pounds worse off. That's wild. Yeah, <laughs> like, it is. It's, it's, actually, it's, it's a strange three concept, years ago. Yeah, but you could have just left things as they were for the past three years and won this cup final. Genuinely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, also, <laughs> you know, you look at Kovacic playing for Manchester City this weekend. You look at Jorginho's performance for Arsenal in their win. You look at some of the players who are stepping up and putting in some some decent performances. You're thinking... Yeah, I can see exactly where this is, is is coming from. And look, conceptually, I understand the idea of trying to, you know, reshape a team and, and get younger and move on. But it's just been done in such a scattergun fashion that it makes it incredible, incredibly difficult to to kind of look at it. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, mate, I'm just been... actually going to go through that team quickly. I'm just I've just quickly loaded it up because I've obviously only only just thought of this. And so, in 2001, obviously Chelsea did beat Manchester City one 0 Mendy in goal, Aspilicueta, Thiago Silva, Rudiger, Reese James, Ben Chilwell, Jorginho, Kante, Cavert, Havertz, Mount, Timo Werner. Um, on the bench that day, you had the likes. I mean, their bench that day. 2001, like you consider what they're bringing off the bench now um, and the age of them. But then they had the likes of Olivier Giroud, uh, Christensen was on the bench, Ziyech was on the bench, Pulisic was on the bench, they had Kurt Zuma, they had two really good goalies in Kepper and Cavett, like all over the place. You're looking at it and thinking like, unbelievable how you've gone from that to this and with such dismal results um, and knowing that things are likely to get worse before they get better. Yeah, yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, talking of goalkeepers, Austin says, is Kevin Kelleher the best goalkeeper in the world? He certainly looks it. To see that many youngsters come on for us and not totally fall away was truly incredible. It feels like a bigger loss for Chelsea than the other week. And the question always comes back to this. Is it the tipping point? To fail to put one past Liverpool squad that had a total of five starters in it and two by the end of the game is not great. At some point, it has to be on Poch, even when the players aren't finishing their lunch in front. Yeah, I mean... Kelleher, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because they, everyone talks about that brilliance and Van Dijk after the game came out and said, yes, he's, he's world-class. And Klopp came out and said, we have the best goalkeeper in the world and the best number two goalkeeper in the world. Um, look, I think it's a bit harsh to call Alisson the best number two goalkeeper in the world. But, you know, ultimately you have to, you have to get what, get you, what you're given. Um, but Kelleher, it, it does feel a bit like, is this... Is this the last go or is there going to be a point where you go, I am just going to succeed, Alison. I'm going to stay here and wait for that moment. Or does he have to go and become a first team starter now? Because we're at that level where we see these kind of performances and the save from Cole Palmer in the first half is truly remarkable. The smother on Conor Gallagher, yes, Gallagher should do better, but it's excellent goalkeeping. You're now looking at a player, you're like, well, where do you want to be? Because obviously he loves being part of this setup, loves being part of this team. But equally, I'm like, you should be Ireland's number one right now. And you're not because Gavin Bazunu plays every week, albeit in the championship for Southampton, 
but he plays every week. And Kelleher is still kind of on the fringes here because Alisson is, you know, up there with the very best goalkeepers in the entire world. Just hard to walk away from, isn't it? Especially when um, Klopp's created such a harmonious environment to be Takes part it back, of. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think so. I, I really think that's what that's what you have to consider um, because to get back to feeling a part of a club that is going through a moment like this is almost impossible. Like this might genuinely be the best moment of his entire career, even though he's still young. Um, and there will be moments in the future where he he knows he'll be able to leave. So. I imagine he'll just want to see how this pans out under the next manager, what that feels like to be involved in, uh, even as a as a backup goalkeeper, because he's probably learnt more as a backup goalkeeper at Liverpool than he ever would have learnt as a first choice in the Championship. The Phil or a lower. Approach. Yeah, and um, that maybe being number one for Ireland is his biggest priority in life, but. If it's not, and he just wants to push himself to eventually become the best goalkeeper he could possibly be, which is, that could be in 10 years from now. Like that, you know, knowing how goal, a life of a goalkeeper can work out and he'll always have this to call upon. Uh, also, we've seen many times through the years how um, big clubs eventually call upon somebody of Keller's statue as they suddenly need someone as a, as a case of urgency because they've suffered a, an injury or a sale of a player. He's going to have other opportunities in the future. So, yeah, look, I've also criticised Keller in the past. And when Fulham played against Liverpool and Keller was in goal, I was quite excited because I thought, actually, got a good chance here. Um, so it's it's an interesting debate. But ultimately, for him to be at Liverpool, I think is something he'll be savouring. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, it's hard, as you say, hard to walk away from, especially when this culture feels so strong and, and so well put together right now. And it feels like it's going to outlast Jurgen Klopp, right? I mean, without quoting Hamilton too much, he's like, I want to I wanna build something that's going to outlive me. And that feels like what Klopp's done. Now, obviously, moving away from a legendary manager is difficult. And there are plenty of examples of how not to do that. But I do think that what's been built here has the chance to outlive a life cycle as long as Liverpool are smart with what they do next. And it feels like it would be out of character for them to not do something smart at this point. Mm. And and with the knowledge that Jürgen Klopp can help in that process and, and help to shape it as well, which is a, an interesting one. I want to flip it now because Darius is here and he's got some things to say. Uh, he says absolutely embarrassing stuff. Let's start in reverse. What was that defending on the corner? There's exactly one dude who's killed you on set pieces all day. How have you failed to keep track of him? Horrific attempt at a header from Mudrick as well. Next, I'm on to Pochettino. Is there a dumber manager working in the sport at the moment? I get the sub options are limited, but that doesn't mean you have to have a complete moron. Cole Palmer was absolutely having his way with Liverpool on the right side. So he decides him to move to the centre where he has no impact on anything from the rest of the game. But that's not even the worst sub because at least Madwaker was involved in the game and created some half chances. The more puzzling decision was to bring on Mudrick. Pochettino doesn't play him a single minute in the last four matches and decides that a cup final is the time to get him back involved. And guess what? He doesn't do anything the entire time. Then the Chilwell substitution. 
What was the logic behind that? Eight minutes to go in the game. You take off your captain, make a right back, play left back and put a centre back at right back. Great minds, Darius. You have completely limited your team for no reason. He's so dumb. He has to go. Is there any chance he gets sacked before the season is over? Because I cannot keep watching his nonsense. Darius also went on to criticise Gallo's finishing and Kunku for a different disappointing sub appearance. He says Sterling can't be bothered to try. Enzo for getting skinned left and right and says Cole Palmer and Nicholas Jackson are the only ones in the attack who feel like they can or can feel like they did anything. And he ends with, it's embarrassing that they've managed to lose yet another final against this team, but that's what you get when you appoint a Spurs reject as your manager. This ownership group needs to get their stuff together. The fans deserve better than this nonsense. Wow. I love the passion. Always do. <laughs> this is it, isn't it? It's an emotional game. It's pa- I mean... Darius is like a seesaw in his emotions across this season. One minute he's um, he's trying to stick up for this team. One minute he's he's battering them. And I well, think that, that's fine. exactly where it's at, isn't it? And I think that's the yeah, thing with know. Chelsea, and that it goes back to all of those points we've made originally about the fact that this team doesn't have that identity or cohesion that you expect from a team that's cost this much money. But equally, if you spend this much so quickly, it's really hard to build that identity. And there's a really lovely piece in the Guardian about this. But it's one of those things where at one point in this, Liverpool were doing a huddle and Chelsea were out on the pitch at the start of extra time. And they sort of looked at Liverpool and were like, oh, I think maybe we should do that. So they went in a huddle. And at <laughs> half time, they had a, a huddle with all the managers as well. It was almost like, oh, we saw that. That, that must be what you do. And it all feels <laughs> performative rather than natural. And that's the difference, right? Like the whole, when you watch Liverpool doing that and you watch the fans behind them and you hear that LA, 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 you're like, everyone is pulling in the same direction. Whereas I think that at Chelsea, there is so little of that. And look, I I agree. I think, look, Pochettino, you said it earlier, no one has sympathy with Pochettino. And I think that you're right. And part of that is because of the amount of money that's been spent here. But equally, I would flip on that and just say that he can't do anything about that. In some ways, he's got he's he's taken what he's given and trying to mold a cohesive whole out of these parts, which are so disparate. Is an incredibly difficult job and he's failing quite badly. However, here's some of the decisions he makes that I can get the chill world thing because I genuinely thought he was going to get sent off for fighting Connor Bradley. Um, but he said his legs has gone as well. They said afterwards that Chilwell couldn't play anymore. Um, but I, I do think that some of the decisions that Pochettino is making, and it comes back to that point about penalties. You have just battered Liverpool for the last 10, 15 minutes of normal time. You are the club in the ascendancy. You are the team who were most gutted when the final whistle went. I think Liverpool were like, whoa, reset. Chelsea were like, oh, I would have been, oh, could have had five more minutes. We've got the ball in the back of the net to immediately turn around and be like, yeah, we're going to play for penalties now. And to sit back in and absorb, none of it made any sense. And ultimately, as far as I'm concerned, that sits on the manager. Yeah, possibly. I mean, is he going to get sacked? Look, let's look at that Leeds fixture that they've got this midweek. That is massive. Leeds are coming to Stamford Bridge with, like Jurgen Klopp, in extra time. Nothing to lose and everything to gain. These two clubs hate each other like and also coming off the back of a massive win at the weekend over just Leicester free one have you seen Their the scenes from Ellen Road where they were all singing I predict, I predict a, riot. a riot unbelievable yeah, I predict a riot at Stamford Bridge mate I mean this, this I, I, I think from both sets of teams because uh, if Chelsea lose their fans are going to turn on Poch in this team they already a, have but 
look, I mean, Stamford Bridge has been quiet this season. Um, you know, I think it's a mix of um, just being fed up and also, you know, there's, as my mates put it, there's more and more day trippers uh, by the game that arrive and that's just a, the nature of Premier League football. But <sighs> lose to Leeds, mate, and this is a big decision for the board to make because to lose this cup final is one thing and perhaps embarrassing. This is their last chance of anything this season and you're not expected to lose to a championship team. So can they rally? Can they come back from this day to kind of save, give themselves a chance of saving their season? I don't know. Um, I, I, I can either. totally understand why Leeds fans would be getting excited about that trip and the, the prospect of really rubbing salt in the wounds as, as they get down to London um, for that game. But uh, Darius, hope you're okay, mate. Um, it's funny, Michael Lewis, uh, one of our, our Liverpool fans, did actually say, uh, someone phoned Darius, Checky still has a pulse. That has to be one of the most demoralising defeats I've seen in Premier League history. Uh, Michael also said uh, this defeat has been, this season has been an absolute joy beyond any form of comprehension. If we beat City at Anfield in early March, I'm calling it in the bag and Klopp take a bow. Uh, we'll have to wait and see about that. Jake says uh, that Liverpool-Chelsea game is a perfect microcosm for Chelsea's season. It is. It's a great comment. Yeah, the usual pains, but over 120 minutes rather than 90 this time. How much of the blame for Chelsea's loss should be on uh, Poch? And while I think his game management was appalling, I can't help but feel this is another game where the players let us down. And I think that that is definitely a response. Yeah, both. Sterling was, doesn't stand up and uh, produce the kind of performance you know he can be capable of. I know he doesn't have a good record anyway of ever playing against Liverpool well. Scores a goal that's ruled uh, out by VAR. Um, but nowhere across that team. I thought Conor Gallagher actually had a good game. I mean, obviously his finishing is what we'll remember him by. But in terms of a general performance, yeah, Gallagher was everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought actually him having him coming off at the time, I was like, oh, I'm not actually sure about that one. because He must have been knackered though. I don't know I mean, Endo put it been, in for 120 minutes. I know Luis Diaz put it in for 120 minutes. But he had covered a lot of ground. He had, really had. Like Those players must have been exhausted. But it was another moment where I was like, oh, that, that, that's dodgy, that one. Um, but yeah, no, I've, we'll I've praised, see. I've praised uh, Enzo and, and Caicedo playing together at the base recently. And I thought that there was starting to be a level of understanding that you're starting to expect from players. But it's not, as we always say, it's not their fault they were bought for the amounts of money that they were bought for, right? And it's not their fault that they were, I don't, I hesitate to say overpriced because I think at the time, the clubs they were playing for had the right to demand that kind of fee for those players but it, it's not their fault that Chelsea decided to pay that fee which might have been inflated for various different reasons and you know almost double that because it's Chelsea you know people sell businesses they're like oh value the player then double it and see if Chelsea will pay it and it does feel a bit like they they do that sometimes so it's not on them that they were bought for that amount of money but you are then given this kind of responsibility to stand up and perform and in recent weeks I think it's been mostly good but but you come back to that and you go, well, okay, go and do it on the biggest stage. And both of them fall flat in that regard. You know, Caicedo, I think probably lucky. I don't necessarily think it's a straight red, the first one, but how he didn't pick up a yellow and then a second yellow, I'm not 100% sure. And as was pointed out earlier, Enzo failed to get any sort of control on this game whatsoever. And, and so therefore, when you're looking at those two in particular, 
the lights have got bright and they've shied away from it. And that's an uncomfortable place for, for Chelsea fans to be when you're looking at your, you know, your, your two players who've been signed for the biggest fees at this point. Yeah, uh, just last point, really. I mean, Ben Chilwell said before the game, compared it to them winning the Champions League a few years ago and said this would be bigger. Um, OK, so you lost it against a team with three teenagers and in the circumstances you did. What does that mean? That's what I want to know. What does this mean about your team? Because if that was going to be such a big moment for the identity of your team, if you'd have, have, have picked up this this trophy in these circumstances on the back of this season and beating Liverpool is going to be so great. What does it mean to play against the worst version you could possibly have played a Liverpool team at and then still lost it? That's what I want to know. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, we'll leave the Carabao Cup final there. I uh, hope you've enjoyed your weekend, Reds. Uh, I can only say to the Chelsea fans that I assume at some point it's going to get better. I just don't know when that's going to be. Thank you for listening to that. We have discussed on the rest of this post box all the action from the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Liga. We've discussed the Portuguese League. We've talked a bit about MLS, some transfer bits and bobs as well. So if you fancy getting involved and being part of the team that shape these episodes, asking your questions and making sure that we can talk about all the bits in football that you want to listen to, please do go and have a look at the Patreon. Free trials are still available so you can get a taster before you get stuck in permanently. There's also access to our brilliant Discord community. You'll hear on the rest of the episode that one of our patrons helped another one out with getting tickets to the Copa America semi-finals next summer. That's the kind of thing that we're all about. The link is in the description. We'd love to have you over there. Thank you so much for listening for this. We'll be back on Wednesday morning as ever with the main episode. But for now, take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.